called the original Christmas playlist. But before I started, you know, I got to say that, you know, we're not the special people like you guys are. I mean, you, the, the sacrifice, the, the giving, uh, all that the people of Vintage Grace have given and given and given has just been awesome. It was in particular, like even this weekend, this past week weekend, uh, we, we found we were put in contact with a family through the social worker over at the high school who uh, took in a niece and a nephew whose parents lost their home and pretty much everything. And uh, we, ca- we came together and we collected money and we're giving um, uh, two $100 gift cards just to give these ki- help these kids get some presents and some clothing uh, tomorrow. And so we're excited about that. And thank you for those of you who, who chipped in on that and helped ha- make that happen. That's just like the little things that our little bitty group um, has done. I mean, it did, it's been able to do. Um, and so it's been uh, an awesome privilege to be a part of, though we're not this huge crowd of this big, enormous thing. What we've tried to do is do things and do it right, love people well, uh, try to be authentic and, and reach people who wouldn't go to the big box church. And so that's why we're here anyway. And so thank you guys. We, we, we love you and we love being here. Well, so we're in the series, um, uh, original Christmas playlist, and so if you would turn in your Bibles, we're in uh, the first two chapters of Luke, this morning, chapter 2, and uh, we're going to be looking, starting in uh, verse 22, we'll read and, we'll, and then we'll jump in to this Christmas playlist, and it'll also be on the screen behind me. Hear the word of God. And when the time had come, oh, excuse me, and when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was a righteous, this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord Now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that they have that you have pierced, excuse me, you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed. A sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Um, Nobody came here to hear Russell, his thoughts, his opinions. They came to hear from you. And so, Lord, we know that you speak through your infallible, inerrant word. And so this morning, we ask that you would speak to us through your word and use this broken vessel. And we pray this this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. So it's Christmas Eve. 
And uh, now most of your Christmas playlists have gotten pretty worn. You've probably gone through them a couple of hundred times by now, right? No doubt. But we've said that the, the one way, if you really want to get into that Christmas mood, get into that Christmas spirit, start listening to those Christmas songs. And it really helps, doesn't it? Uh, those, I mean, we love the songs. Um, but we've said that the best way to get true, genuine uh, Christmas spirit is to go back to the original Christmas playlist. And here in Luke's gospel, we see songs start to arise out of the narrative. There's four songs that we see coming up out of, the, out of, the, out of this um, narrative that happens. It's, it's actually, it's great. It's almost like a Broadway musical almost. I mean, it's like they're breaking. I mean, you almost, almost can imagine, you know, they're breaking into song, and there's like little animated penguins dancing alongside of them and stuff. You know, and they're having a great time or whatever. But in some ways, it's kind of like that. But these are the, the original Christmas playlists. Some would say these are the first Christian hymns, Christian songs ever. And so we're going back to the Christmas playlist, the original Christmas playlist, to see what true, genuine uh, Christmas spirit looks like. And so just we'll re- review what we've gone over, first of all. With Mary and her song, um, the Magnificat, we saw that... Um, a Christmas spirit is a spirit of worship and delight in God that comes out of our weakness and our need for Him. Okay, and then the second week, we saw the, the Benedictus of Zechariah. And we saw that um, the Christmas spirit is a, a spirit of believing and trusting God. And, and out of that gospel belief outflows a life that sings the gospel. And then last week, we saw that in, in the Gloria, the, the angel's song, and we sang it earlier. Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest. We saw that um, we can have peace. Why? Because God's favor rests on us. It's not a favor that can come and go. It's landed. It has stopped. It is upon us for good. Right? And so this week, um, we're going to do the next song. And it's Simeon's song. It's called the Nunc Nunc Dimittis. We'll talk about that later. What that means. Okay, but first of all, breaking news. I don't know if you've heard. Big news. The number one Christmas song this year. Has anybody heard what it is? Mariah Carey's. Okay, all I want for Christmas is you, right? And we heard it. I mean, you've probably heard it 10,000 times. Well, according to all the billboard charts, the downloads, the streams, all of that, all the purchases, the number one song this year is all i want for christmas is you but here's the funny thing about that song is we love that song but none of us really believe that <laughs> i mean come on guys you, you can try it I, I actually i dare you to try it next year say you love that song honey so i'm just not gonna get you any presents because all you want is me right good try yeah good luck with yeah that'll work right well, here's the thing. Here we meet a guy who sings a song much like that, and he means it. Basically, he's like, all I want for Christmas is you, Jesus. And he means that. And that's his song. And so we meet this guy who really does only want Jesus or only wants you for Christmas. Um, and so here's Simeon we, we meet in this story. Uh, he's lived a life of waiting and wanting just one thing 
Not his two front teeth, but he's waiting for this Messiah. Waiting for the, as we see, the consolation of Israel. And God has promised him one thing. God has promised him this one thing. And when it happens, when he does, guess what happens? He breaks into song. And he might even tap dance a little bit, right? You know, and he's a cane. Or, you know, man is telling me, don't dance. Whatever you do, don't dance. I'll, I won't. I try to stay out of that, that field. All right? And so, with Simeon and his song, we get another glimpse of genuine, true Christmas spirit that breaks out in the song. And in this song, and in, in Simeon's little story here, we see that true Christmas spirit is, is a spirit like that Simeon had. And spirit, Simeon had a, a, a spirit whose identity came from God's words, his purpose came from God's grace, and his hope came from God's salvation. So let's look at his song. Okay, so first of all, Simeon's Christmas spirit is a spirit whose identity comes from God's words. Okay, his spirit, his identity came from God's words. In this passage, we meet this guy, Simeon. And Simeon, actually, the name Simeon is actually super common. It actually shows up about ten times in the New Testament, either in this form, Simeon, or the one y'all may have heard of, Simon, like Simon Peter or so on. This is like the name John. Even, you know, it's a very common name. Like in our culture today, John uh, uh, what's another one? Mark. You know, there's like these very, very common names. So his name doesn't mark him off as anything special. But also, we're only told about him two things. Well, really three things. First, we're only told that he's a devout, righteous Jew. So he's an Israelite that's very devout, very um, righteous, he's described as. Okay. Second thing, only, the second thing we know about him is that he is just waiting. He's waiting for this Messiah the, you know, the Messiah Lord to come. And then thirdly, the only other thing we know about him is that God's spirit is upon him. And that's it. That is all we know about this guy. And so it's really interesting, really kind of a strange appearing here of this guy that we don't know anything about. But here's the thing. The, the only thing we know about Simeon is what God's word says about him. The only thing we know about Simeon is what God's word says about him. And so this passage, so there's nothing special about Simeon as far as we can tell. You know, um, he, he doesn't seem to have any kind of office. He's not a priest or anything like that. So what, what, what about him? Is there anything special about him? We, we don't know. Was he a banker? Um, Does he have some kind of trade? Did he have a family? Did he have children? We have no idea. But all we know about him is that God's word says a few things about him. And that's it. So here's the thing. Think about this. What if all there was to know about you is what God's word would say about you? So if all you got was a few verses in the Bible to describe you, what would it say? I was thinking about that. I was like, I don't know if, know if I would like that right now. I'm not sure I would appreciate what it might say about me sometimes. But Simeon gets a nice little resume. He's considered righteous, and he's a waiting guy. We'll talk about that in a little while. Um, um, 
But here's the thing. Simeon's entire existence on earth is defined by what God's word says about him right here in this passage. That's it. That's all we get. And if we're totally defined by that, what would it say about you? Or let's put this another way. Let's think about this another way. Let's say, you know, we all know none of us get out of this life alive. Y'all realize that, right? And one day, if we're lucky enough to have a family to do it for us, our friends, um, there's going to be a, a, a granite stone stuck in the ground with your name on it. And it's going to say, here lies your name. And what is, and it should, usually will say, here lies so-and-so, father, mother, you know, wonderful person. Well, you know, we usually try to find something really nice to say. And so the question is, what, is, what would your little tombstone say? If it was just a few words, what would you want it to say at the end of your life? Interesting question, isn't it? Um, I just heard of uh, uh, a pastor that I knew. He, he passed away. And at his funeral, unfortunately, um, his children got up to speak about him in the service. And they couldn't, they didn't have anything good to say. And those in attendance, obviously, were not happy. Were a uh, uh, very awkward, distressing funeral. One person just said it was awful. That is terrible. What, you know, and I, I've thought about that. You know, if I, at my funeral, are they going to have something good to say? Better yet, are my children going to have something good to say? Now, uh, there's a, a, a very popular author and theologian who just passed away as well, R.C. Sproul. And he just had a massive funeral. And they heaped praise and, act, you, know, added, you know, just how wonderful, how amazing, and all this that this man had done. And you could have had thousands of people go up there to say the, the impact that he's had and all this, that, and the other. Totally different contrasts. And I hope at my funeral... At least my children can have something good to say about me. So everything we know about Simeon comes from God's word alone. But I think we get a picture that Simeon's pretty okay with that. Simeon is all right being defined by whatever God wants to say about him. It says... uh, And that's why we see him sing in uh, verses 31 and 32. Simeon sings, You have prepared in the presence of all peoples the glory of your people Israel. So Simeon was a faithful, devout Israelite. And so for Israel to finally have glory, and I think in this sense, you know, glory is God's heaviness, his splendor, his power, his might, whatever. But it also comes with it, the idea of fame, um, renown, honor, splendor. And so he's saying, you know, you have prepared this for the glory of my people Israel. And, and, if, and if Israel's glorified, he would be glorified. But we see in Simeon, he's, it's not just about him and, and his people being glorified, but it's about being God being glorified through his people. And so the promise had been that one day... Israel is going to be the the glory, the the fame, the beauty, the splendor of God. That God would be glorified 
through his people. And that people would look to Israel and they would say, what an awesome God. Matter of fact, in Isaiah 62, verse 3, we see it's it's a promise. It says, you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. And as holy image bearers of God, that's what we're to do. We're, We're to be the splendor. We're to be the bling of God. So let me ask you a question. Whose words define you? Whose words define your life? Yours? I might say, I might try to define myself. I use words for those. Maybe positively, maybe negatively. Uh, Your friends, family, loved ones, your kids, culture, enemies. Whose words define you? It's a really good question, isn't it? So in Simeon's case, in the spirit of Christmas... His are defined from God's words. Secondly, we see in Simeon that um, Simeon has purpose, and that purpose has come from God's grace. Okay, his purpose comes or came from God's grace. Now, if you look at his song here, um, and, you, and you look at it, I, I can't help think about how strange it is. I mean, he says, Lord... Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. In other words, he's saying, yay, I get to die now. What a song. (laughs) I mean, it almost needs to be, you know, a thrasher punk metal kind of thing going on here, right? I get to die, yes, this is awesome. That's what you expect uh, out of this. But he is thrilled that now his time has come. It is time, yay, I get to die. The reason, though, Simeon can rejoice in this is because his life is centered on God's promises and purposes. Okay? So let me ask you, what would prompt you to say, okay, I, I can die now. It's done. I'm ready. Let's go. Reminds me of a... a um, situation I heard of. There was a, a professor at Covenant College up in North, uh, North Georgia. Actually, Chattanooga, North Georgia. Lookout Mountain. Anyway, his name was he- Dr. Henry Cromondon. They called him the seven-foot Dutchman. Really eccentric, crazy guy. Well, he was on an airplane going to uh, Uganda, and some Nigerians hijacked the plane. And he was on the plane with uh, Gifford Shaw and um, Clark Bynum, two, two pretty good-sized guys. And they were up in uh, they had asked him, hey, why don't you come sit up in, you know, the business class, and we'll take one of your seats. You know, they were trying to be nice. He said, oh, no, no, no. Well, Clark and uh, Al, uh, Gifford, I knew both of these guys, um, when the plane was hijacked, the, uh, the first thing that happened, there was a fight with the, uh, the pilots in the cockpit, and the plane dropped 10,000 feet in, like, a second. And uh, Gifford and Clark stormed and another guy stormed the cockpit and, and arrest, you know, basically arrested this guy, like beat him up, held him down, whatever. And later they were talking, and, and they were, and Dr. Henry Cronion said, it's a good thing I wasn't up front, because I wouldn't have cared. <laughs> he was like, I'm coming to Jesus, I'm ready. 
It's like a good thing we didn't switch seats. You know, he was like, I didn't care. Let's go. Crash it. He was ready. So are you? Are you? Are you at a place where you could say, okay, I'm ready to die? What would it take? What would prompt you to say that? And so for Simeon, we could say that Jesus is not just the reason for the season. We say that, right? Jesus is the reason for the season. Okay? No. But he is not only the reason for the season. He is the reason for living. And, in his case, a reason to say, okay, I'm ready. I have seen it. I have beheld the Savior. I'm ready to go. I have gotten, I have accomplished what I have wanted. And so this, the title of this that has been given, this Latin, Nunt Dimittis, uh, it means now I can depart. I can, I can take my leave. I can be dismissed. It's the idea... Um, this idea is like a military term that describes when like a, a sentinel or a guard who stood watching the hours of the night, now at last the sun comes up over the horizon and he knows his work is done and he goes, his commanding officer, to be dismissed. It's the morning, now I can go. And that's where Simeon is here. And so once Smiths go maybe sleep or whatever, go rest. And this is the way Simeon feels. Okay? The long wait is over. The years of anticipation have, have been fulfilled. The century duty is finished, for he has seen and personally held the Lord Jesus. Here's the thing. Key point here. You've got to see it. Simeon was satisfied. Simeon was satisfied to finally see in Jesus. This satisfaction, though, Defined his purpose. You hear that? He was satisfied to see it. And, and, but that satisfaction had defined his purpose to the point where he could say, check, I'm good to go. Maybe he was an older guy. We don't know. Maybe he had 50 years left. We have no idea. Maybe we kind of get the idea that he was advanced in age. Um, and so he's been waiting and waiting. And maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe he's on you know, his last limb. Like, you've known people who've, I've known so many that, uh, you know, I, I just want to see my kids get married. And then, I, and then and as soon as their kids get married, they finally feel like they can let go of life. Um, and that's so, but he is satisfied. Finally at peace, his heart was filled with hope because he knew that God had now fulfilled his promise. So, but here, I want you to catch this. And out of his satisfaction comes purpose. And out of his purpose comes satisfaction. Did you catch that? What you are satisfied in, what your heart wants is what gives you purpose. And hopefully what that gives you purpose will in turn give you satisfaction. You follow? And that's what we see here with Simeon. Simeon's sole purpose had been to bear witness of this little baby Jesus. That's his, his whole life. As far as we know... His whole life has been this moment to finally say, this is him. This is Jesus. So his whole purpose was to witness, to evangelize, to be missional. What's the, key, key, the catchy words today? To, to share Jesus with others. That's been his whole life. That has been 
because because of his satisfaction in Jesus, that gave him purpose to share him. And that purpose now has given him a point of satisfaction to say, I'm good. I've done it. Well done, good and faithful servant. And Simeon's role, so, and he sings. Like, listen, uh, verses 31 to 32 again. Let's go back there. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles. His, even in the, in the center of his song, he's saying, I'm good to go. I rejoice. I'm ready. I'm satisfied because God, you have, your salvation has come. I have seen it. The light to the Gentiles has come. Simeon rejoices because he delights in God's mission to give light to the Gentiles. I don't know about you. This is my heart. This is the heart of Vintage Grace Church is that we are passionate. We love and delight in the fact that God wants to share his love with people who may not even want it. Who have rejected and turned away from him. Who are broken and hurting. That's, I love sharing the gospel with somebody and watching them get it all of a sudden. There is nothing better to me. And that's Simeon's whole purpose has come because he serves a God that is a God of grace, a God of mercy. But we also so ask a question again, what's your purpose? What's the goal of your life? Okay, last thing is we see that not only is his um, identity and purpose, but we see that his hope, his hope came from God's salvation. As far as we know, I've already said this, Simeon's entire existence is an existence of waiting. That's a tough job. He, as far as we know, he, there was, he didn't leave a, lead a movement. He didn't form a community. We, we don't know anything about his resume. He didn't accomplish a bunch of things. Rather, we, all we know is that he watched, he prayed, he waited. And, and likely not even fully understanding why, as far as we know. Here's the thing. We are all called to wait. You know? We are called to wait. And not only wait, but wait well. It's our calling. John uh, Ortberg said this. He said, we are not in control, so we are all in the waiting business. Did you catch that? You are not in control of your situation, so you're in the business of waiting. Okay? We are to remain faithful and patient even when we do not have what we want yet. We are called to wait. But here's the thing. Waiting is so hard. Isn't waiting hard? Okay, it's Christmas Eve. And in about 20 hours... A bonanza of present opening gift sharing is going to happen, right? But our, the kids are struggling. If you have kids in, in, within a mile of you, you can feel the tension and anticipation. And so here's, here's a challenge for you. Count how many times you hear, can we open the presents yet? 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 Hey, how about we open just one present? Maybe just one? One right now, maybe one later, and you know, trying to like, or one, 
my middle son is like Mr. Bargain, like legal guy. He's going to like try to reason for some reason why we should open a present now early. Because waiting is so hard. But waiting isn't just hard for kids, is it? Waiting's tough. Uh, we have a family we know um, who was in an accident in Thanksgiving week. And he's, and he's laying, fighting for his life. And, and, the, and it's just a waiting game now. Waiting to see if he's going to ever get out of the woods. Or I could, my brother-in-law, who has a brain tumor. And as I've talked to him and Amanda's sister, you know, the real, part of the real pain and struggle for them right now is just waiting. Waiting for results. Waiting to hear. Is it going to be horrible? Is it going to be good? Bad? Ugly? What's it going to And it's just this pain just waiting. You know, and we, we love it, don't we? We love waiting. I love, it's like, it's like the Geico commercial where you love pain, you know? You like love giving yourself a paper cut or hitting your head on the banister or something, right? Uh, we love it, right? We like, I got to go, I'm going to pay hundreds of dollars a ticket in the middle of blistering summer heat in, in Florida to stand in lines all day. We must love it, right? No. I'm going to move on the side of the Buckman Bridge that makes me sit in traffic every day. Yes, I love it. Can't wait to sit in traffic. We, yeah, we can't stand. Waiting is so difficult. And so here's the question. How do we do it? How, do, how did Simeon do it? How do we wait? And I love it because, um, and how do we wait well? It's not just waiting. Because you can wait. And I wait in traffic not very well. You know, I'm, I'm ugly, I'm cutting people off, you know, you know, coming up with new words and hand gestures. And I did, you know, it's funny because at uh, Pinewood Academy, where our boys are, there's a teacher there, her name is Miss Tolson, and she was teaching uh, patience. And, and Amanda, she's been using this, because it just cracks me up. So they taught the kids patience. Patience is happy waiting. And so we ask our kids when they're not being very patient, are you happy waiting right now? And they're like, yes, I'm happy waiting. <laughs> so how do we happy wait? And here's the key, hope. Hope is the key to happy waiting. So how do we wait well like Simeon? Okay, Simeon did a couple of things that helped him have hope. And help him happy wait. Have patience. First of all, he re, we know he remembered God's promises. God had promised him this. And he also probably regularly had to look back at God's fulfilled promises to Abraham and so on. You know, throughout the Old Testament history. Re, re, leaning in and relying on what you've already seen God do in his word or in your life. But then also, he had a he had a clear and certain goal or prize before him. God had promised him something, and he was going to wait for it, no matter what. And this, Simeon sings, my eyes, verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation. So Simeon had been waiting on the prize, a prize that had been promised to him. In verse 26, and it had been revealed to him. So we saw that it had been promised. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until the Lord had come. And he had 
witness God miraculously work in his word and so on. And so Simeon had hope. And we can have hope too. God has declared to each and every one of us that salvation has come. The cool thing is, Simeon had waited his whole life to behold the Savior. We can behold him now at any moment. Okay? And each and every one of us can see God's salvation right now. You can see him work in your life right now. So we have the prize. Here's the thing about hope. Okay? Hope that is sure produces rock-solid patience. If you want to be a patient, happy-waiting person, have a sure, solid hope. How do we, what does that mean? Okay, let me give you an, let me give an illustration to help you all see how having a solid, sure hope is so important. There, they did, there was an experiment done with kids where they put them in a room and, a ta- and they sit them at a table and they sit them in a chair and they put a little plate and a big marshmallow right in the center of the plate. And there was a challenge. Okay, you can have that marshmallow. Or if you wait five minutes, you can have three. Marshmallows just like that. And that's like, look it up sometime. It is hilarious. These kids are like hitting the table. They're like, they're just, right? But let me tell you how much easier it would be for these kids. I mean, it's really torture to have to sit there and look at the one. You know, and have, you know, sure, there's an idea of three marshmallows, right? But you're staring at one marshmallow. And that we do that. Our lives are all about that one marshmallow sometimes. Because that's all we see. I see the pleasures and the, and the, the comforts of this world. And I think, I'm just going to go for it. Like, wait, it's too hard. However, if they were to put that three marshmallows on the table, so you can have that one, or if you wait, you can have all three of these. They could just sit there and dwell on, focus on, put their attention upon those three marshmallows. Now you're talking. Isn't that, wouldn't that be a lot easier for, for kids? And maybe for us, we should say. And that Simeon had a rock-solid hope. Okay? In other words, like a done deal, in-your-face kind of hope. All right? And here's the thing. In Christ, we get a hope like that. We get a hope that is, let me put it this way, forged in fire. There's a show, uh, we were um, up in the mountains, we went, uh, got it, did a little getaway, and we were up there, and on Thanksgiving Day, my youngest son and I, Watts, and I, we uh, got caught up in this show, they were doing a marathon called Forged in Fire, and it's the strangest show, they get like four guys who are, are, do forging, and they make blades, and the con- it's a contest, they have to make the best swords and knives or whatever, and so, and we got all engrossed in this, we were loving it. Uh, and my son, eight years old, and they were sitting there watching them make these cool swords and stuff. And the thing about it was, you know, and, and I never realized this, to make a good sword or knife or whatever, if you don't heat that metal up just right in the fire and you don't cure it just right, it's not going to be hard enough. 
And these guys would have to make it in really quick timing and have to try to, and they would take these swords and start banging them on trees and stuff to see if they're going to work or not. And sometimes they didn't. Very often they would break or bend or something like that. But the, one, the guys who, who fire and really heated those blades up beyond and just fired those things and then eventually cured it, those swords, were, that, that was rock solid, forged in fire. And here's the thing. Our hope isn't just that some, oh, we hope, we wish, or whatever. We know because Jesus forged a hope for us in the fire of his suffering and death. And Simeon points to that here. In verses 34 and 35, he says, is it there? Yeah, Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And, and a sword will pierce through your soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So he's pointing. He's like, oh, and this is kind of strange, really, too. You know, at the end of the story, he's like, oh, bless you guys. You know, they're marveling. Wow, this is great. Oh, oh by the way, your son is going to divide hearts. And he's going to be opposed. And his soul is going to be pierced with a sword. And, oh, by the way, yours is too. And, he, and it's pointing to the, the suffering that Mary would face watching her son hang on a cross. But in that suffering comes a, a sure hope because that Jesus coming and dying on our behalf would secure eternally a hope for us, a, 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 a sure promise that we would be with him and that he would bring us to back to himself and that he would restore all things. That's the good news of this passage. So, let's ask those questions again real quick. Whose words define you? Whose words define you? What's your purpose? What is your hope? Get those rights and you will have a genuine Christmas spirit. Tomorrow morning you'll wake up and you will know the real hope joy and purpose and delight of Christmas. However, if you're an unbeliever, you have not received, you have not believed and trusted in Jesus, you are not ready to die until you have embraced Jesus. Simeon knew it. He knew he was not dismissed. He was not ready until he beheld the Savior. And the same is for us. If you don't have Jesus, you are not ready to die. And so, you may be ready to graduate. You may be ready to for your, buy your first home. You may be ready to retire. You may be ready to be many things, but without Jesus, you're not ready to die. So, here's the thing. Here's the offer. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. All you do is believe and trust it, and it is yours. Take it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace.